This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Uh, yeah, so remain standing for the reading of God's Word, which is uh, Psalm 26. So let me read that for us. Psalm 26 of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let me just start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us, Lord. Thank you that um, as last week we spoke a little bit of shame um, and almost the other side of the coin here, uh, David is speaking in a, from a confident place, Lord. Um, David has trusted in you. He has drawn near to your face. Um, and you have shown him mercy. And he can say with confidence, Lord, try my mind, try my heart. Know that I am fixed on you, Lord. Lord, I pray as we consider this this morning, as we look at your word, as we come under submission to what you have said in scripture, that it would form us, that it would shape us, that it would change us, and that it would enable more of the beauty and majesty and glory of the greater David to shine through your people uh, as we're shaped into your image, Lord. So I thank you for this passage this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to just consider it uh, over these next few minutes, Lord, and I pray that as we walk away from here today, we'll be more impressed with you, uh, more enamored with your glory, and thus more transformed into your image. So your name I pray, amen. Yeah, so these psalms, um, you know, this happens a lot in the book of Psalms with these psalms, uh, the one last week and the one this week are almost like, hey, Lord, here's all the things I'm asking for. Um, to teach me your ways. Help me know what to do. Um, don't let me be put to shame. And then we jump into the next psalm and he's saying, nailed it. You know, like the Lord fulfilled the request that I was asking for. Um, uh, even in, in, in uh, verse three, it says, I walk in your faithfulness. That's the same word that's used in the previous song. Lord, teach me your truth. So, so he's saying, You've, you have taught me. Like I, I've walked in the things that I've requested for. And so he, he starts off in the psalm and he says, in verse one, he says, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Amen. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. That is a measure of confidence that I'm not going to have. <laughs> you know, I think uh, that's just a bold statement for someone not Jesus to say. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Like David has a, a measure of confidence here. And I, I think it's easy to see the boldness of that statement, the, the confidence that he has, and say, oh, well, I, I, couldn't ever re- I could never really say that. I could never really say in the, the period of my entire life that I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. But if you think for a second, there are definitely times where you and I are confident that we're doing the right thing. Like there are parts of our lives where we have a measure of confidence that we're doing the right thing. So think about what gives you confidence. And that's kind of what we're gonna focus on a little bit this morning is this idea of confidence. Think about what gives you a measure of confidence. 
I think I feel confident when everything is mapped out. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, um, I, I have a measure of confidence when I can look ahead and be like, this is the right thing to do, this is the right thing to do, this is the right thing to do. And when I say look ahead, I mean like the next two hours. You know, that's as far ahead as I look. Bridget's like, hey, but we need this thing in the future. And I'm like, no. <laughs> this is happening today. I need it exactly planned. Um, so I have a measure of confidence in that. Sometimes uh, we can get confidence from, from past success, you know? Like maybe we're called to do something that we've done very well in the past. We, we just have, that gives us confidence. Like, I know what I'm doing. I've, act, I've mastered this. I have no worries. I'm totally confident I'm walking into this with all the confidence in the world. If we think, if you stop and say, I'm confident when, or I feel confident if, For the most part, we answer that question by something that I have done or will do or can do. Our confidence, typically, is very me-oriented. <laughs> what, what causes me to lose my way, what causes me to feel very good about what I'm doing, is typically centered around things I have done, things I will do, things I am capable of. And if we're going to, like David, if we're, if we're gonna step forward like David and say, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering, if we're gonna have a measure of confidence that lasts or that goes beyond these things that we're comfortable with, then we're gonna have to reorient where we get our confidence from. It's easy, uh, maybe it's easier for some of you to think about where you're not confident. That feeling when something doesn't go right, um, that feeling when it's just not clear what is the next step, or that feeling when everything you had planned out um, just exploded in your face, uh, it's happened to me a lot over the last few weeks. Um, and you're just like, now what? All the confidence I had has just disappeared. <laughs> and, and, and my reaction then is to go back to those things that I do. My reaction then is to, to replan or to re-remember what I'm capable of or to look forward to the future or, or to reassure myself, whatever it is. I just, and, and there's almost like this, this life brings us to these back and forths of like, here's where I'm confident. It got blown up. Uh, manage, okay, I'm confident. And you're just, you're just riding this roller coaster of, of, of having a sense of confidence and then being everything sort of shattered in front of you. And I like what David says, because he says, without wavering. There's a measure of his confidence that he has that isn't wavering. And we know, um, we know that David writes prophetically. We can go to the story of David, and he wavered. <laughs> he fell. He was confident in some very ways that are impressive and also like, wow. Um, but then he also was humbled and was not confident and was scared and did some really ridiculous things as well, like pretending he was crazy and all kinds of stuff and drooling in front of a king of, you know. So, so he's, got a, he's got an interesting story as, 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 um, as much as any of us. But he's speaking prophetically of a greater David I mean, there's only one person in the world that has ever been confident without wavering. There, there, there's only one man that could say, I trusted in the Lord without wavering. And that's Jesus Christ himself. 
That's why we come and sing and worship and praise and talk about the beauty of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, not David or not anyone else, because all of these people are pointing us ultimately to the, the greater version of themselves in Jesus Christ. And, and the beauty of that, sort of the, the, the thing that I think is instructive for us is that you and I as believers, if we, if we trust in what Jesus has done in his faith and what he's been rewarded with and who he is and the fact that he's sitting on the throne, if we trust what he's doing, we believe in that, then we're united to his success. You and I are intimately connected to him in a way that Paul is speaking about intercourse and marriage and is like, actually, that's a picture of what it looks like to be intimately connected with Christ. It's a mystery. I'm speaking of the union between Christ and his church. And so if, if you and I are connected to Jesus, if you and I have the spirit poured out and filled up inside of us, Jesus Christ is working to exude his confidence, his faithfulness, his character in and through you. He wants you, like David, through his strength, through what he's accomplished, through his spirit, to say, Lord, I trusted in you without wavering. Because that brings him more glory. Because he gets more credit for that. Because he draws us into worship him and love him because he's the one that's producing that confidence in you. And what this psalm is doing is it's helping us understand how to find that confidence that's available in and through Jesus Christ. Because David, in this little picture, shows us where he was, where he was thinking, what he was doing, what he was considering, so that he could begin this psalm and say, my confidence was without wavering. And we know he failed, <laughs> but we also know he pointed towards the greater David that we're united to, that he wants to then work that confidence in you and through you. So it's, it's instructing us. It's, it's helping us where to find our confidence. And we're gonna look at a, a hand, uh, three things that come up in finding our confidence. Our confidence is in and through Jesus Christ as we're united to this greater David, but he's, he's helping us find that here. Not from something that I can plan, not from something that I am committed to doing, not from something that, I can achieve or get to, but things that are ultimately not me-oriented, but that are Jesus Christ-oriented, that are oriented in God himself. And so for us to, to find our confidence through this psalm, David tells us how by looking at his promises by looking at his paths, his ways, his law, and by aiming for and by setting our, our, our hearts and our minds on his presence. Like that's the end goal. Look at what he says in verse two. He says, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. That's a scary thing to say, I think. <laughs> Lord, expose my deepest thoughts about what I'm doing and you'll see that I trusted you. Dang. I'm not sure that's the situations I've been in. I'm not sure that's how I want to share that. I'm like, Lord, thank you that you're aware of my heart and yet love me. <laughs> and it's true. But again, remember, this is Christ on the throne, the greater David who has poured out his spirit, who dwells in you and is working to produce his character, his perfect heart, his perfect mind in and through you. In Philippians, it says, have this mind among yourselves, talking about humility, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You have that mind. So here when David says, Test my heart and my mind. 
there it is a, a sense in which in and through Jesus Christ, you and I can be in the same position. He's capable of transforming our inner thoughts, our inner desires, our inner directions so they match with the Savior that we're united to. And verse three begins this, verse three sort of begins to help us understand how that's even possible. He says, I've done all these things. I have this confidence without wavering for, because as a result of your steadfast love is before my eyes. I have confidence without wavering because I've taken your promises and I've put them right in front of me. That's where my attention is drawn on you and what you have promised. I want to sit on this for just a second because this is important. Without the commitment of God, none of this is possible. Steadfast love is is a word where we get his covenant faithfulness. The reality that his commitment is never wavering. He has not poured out his spirit in you and united you to his son and loves you and cares for you and is shaping you most of the time. He... (laughs) To think that would be to think that his covenant love, his steadfast love wavers. To to think that would be to, to project change on God that's only what his creatures experience. David is saying, before I go anywhere else, I wanna be 100% committed to the reality that God is 100% committed. That's what I put in front of my face. Before I go anywhere, I have to say, Lord, you have made promises. You have committed to your people, period. This could, this is probably the most necessary thing you need to hear when you're lacking confidence. In the book of Lamentations, um, which is the most depressing book uh, in all of the Bible, and there's like one little positive section in the middle. It is making a point. The book is making a point by putting that in the middle. And that's the this, verse this you like see on people's counters and stuff. But, but what's happening in Lamentations is Jerusalem is being sacked. Like, like the, the epitome of the presence of God and the people of God and the promises of God is being utterly demolished in ways that I, in ways I don't think you and I will ever, ever be able to experience. Like, I don't know what it's like to watch children starve to death. I don't know what it's like to begin to consider finding food from places that maybe none of us would even begin to think of right now. Like the, the, the way that Jerusalem was destroyed and the suffering that the people went through in the destruction of Jerusalem is, is insane, is disturbing. It's like a, it's like a, a picture of just the, the tragedy of the, of the fall. And it's God's wrath being, being poured out on his chosen people, which is, again, a picture. It's not about... Jerusalem in the desert. It's a picture of God pouring out his wrath on Christ. It's a picture of the suffering that Jesus went through on behalf of his entire people so that we could be united to him, so that we could have the love of the Father, so that we could trust in the promises of God. But in the midst of all of this suffering, in the midst of what, if you were to look around and say, everything that I see as a Jew is falling apart. Everything that I see with my own eyes and the experience that I have as Jerusalem falls down around me tells me that nothing of God's promises are holding true. And in the middle of all that, I 
In the middle of all that, this is what's said in Lamentations. Verse 19, he says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, bitterness, suffering. My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. I, I consider my circumstances and all I have is suffering and bitterness. As I watch the city of God fall apart and everyone I know suffer around me. Verse 21 says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Or as David would say, this is what I put in front of me. This is what I intentionally put in front of my eyes. Same word right here in verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The hesed, the commitment of God to me and to his people doesn't change. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. David says, I'm able to trust the Lord without wavering because the steadfast love is before my eyes. I'm able to trust the Lord without wavering because it doesn't matter what my circumstances I mean, it matters, but the circumstances around me doesn't change my view of God and his promises. It could seem to me that everything that God has promised is utterly falling apart, but because I know his word and know his character and know that his hesed, his steadfast love, his commitment to his people never changes at all, that's the thing that I put in front of me. That's the thing that I put in front of me and that no matter what I can see going on around me, when I put that thing in front of me, that's what's able to give me hope. That's what's able my confidence not to go from here to here to here to here because nothing changes about who God is and what he's saying and what he's promised. And if I set those things in front of me, then I can have a measure of confidence in what Jesus Christ is doing on his throne without wavering. Amen. That's how we're able to find our confidence. When we speak of the promises of God, the gospel, the steadfast love, the hesed, God has united us to our Savior because He does want to work good things in and through us. He, he, he isn't just rescuing people from sin and connecting them to the Lord and Savior on the throne and saying, okay, well, um, later in heaven, it'll be great. Evangelize every now and then, you know, so there's more of us. He's saying, I, I'm empowering you with the Spirit because I also want you to have confidence in what you do. I want you to have confidence in the decisions that you make, in the places that you go, in the things that you do. And just like every other, just like because of sin and our inwardness, we typically begin to orient ourselves and orient what we do around me in my truth, in what I think is right, and not around the Lord. And so when David says, verse three in Psalm 26, your steadfast love is before my eyes, I'm, I'm finding confidence in his promises, he continues and says, and I walk in your faithfulness. I walk in your faithfulness. In the next verse, he says, I don't sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of the evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. He's when he talks about sitting and walking and other places in the, in the psalm, standing, he's telling us, he's helping us understand the actions of his life come from God himself. Your faithfulness. Again, it's the same word from the previous psalm. It's like, teach me your truth. 
teach me the things that come from you that direct my sitting and my standing and my walking and my actions. I, will, I, I can have confidence without wavering if I know what I'm doing is coming from you. Look at Psalm 1. Just flip over, scroll down real fast on your Bible. Um, Psalm 1 kind of kind of brings out this theme. So we're, if we find our confidence, not in our ability or what we're able to do, but in his promises, we, we same find our confidence not in our direction, our paths, or, or where we're going, but we, we find our confidence in his paths. Psalm 1 says, blessed, verse 1 says, blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Saying, blessed is the man who does not direct their paths, walking, sitting, standing. The things that they do with scoffers and sinners and the wicked. And I think reading that, it's easy to be like, well, good, I don't really do that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like, I don't know, what would be, well, I don't even know what would be like hanging out with the wicked, <laughs> you know? Um, or sitting in the seat of scoffers. Can't think of a good example. What would we culturally say? That's a thing that is foolish. I'm not involved in that. No one's got one. Politics. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Because <laughs> uh, that seems fruitful to have conversation yeah, about politics. You know, we're, it's more like a holier than thou, you know, like I'm above that argument, you know, that's kind of how we, how we feel about that. That's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I think in the same way, we reorient where our confidence comes from around how we define what that looks like. Like, I know what is bad. That's bad. I won't do that. I feel good about what I'm doing. That's <laughs> just like our default position, just like I find confidence in myself and what I can do, I then also find confidence how I define what is good, right, and beautiful. On Friday when I uh, was moving, because the Lord had blown up all my plans again, um, and I moved into a hotel, I was like, Bridget was like, oh, I'm like gold status, you can just check in early, it'll be great, and I was like, sweet. So I load up the cats and all the things, and they're like in the car, like, meow, 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 meow. <laughs> I'm like, you know, we'll get to the hotel. It'll be fine. I'm going to, and then I can, Daniel's parents are coming into town, and, I, and they're staying where we were living. So I was like, I'm going to get to the hotel. I'm going to unload the cats. They can just chill out. I'll go back. I'll finish loading up the car. I'll clean up. I'll get back. I'll be ready. I'll be done by like 1 o'clock, and then I'll probably reach out to Cole. We can get together, and then I can go on a bike ride, and then Bridget will land on the plane, and then when she gets there, we can go out to eat, and I'll just like planned all this out. And I didn't even like write it down. This is like my brain just spinning in there. And I get there at like 10 o'clock, fresh. I've been up for like four hours or plus, like cleaning and packing and everything. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here to check in. And the lady was like, what? I was like, oh, you know, like, um, I was like, my wife has the, a thing on the app and we we're just checking in early. And she goes, Pff. she just like laughed at me. She's like, oh yeah, no, nah, we're not ready for any check-ins. And I was like, okay, when? <laughs> And she's like, I don't know, maybe just call us in a couple hours. And I was like, well, will it tell me on the app? And she's like, I don't know if that works. <laughs> and I was like, deep breaths, Aaron, deep breaths. <laughs> and I, but I'm sitting in, so then I go back to the car and I'm just like, <laughs> Cole's like, well, I can come to you. And I'm like, I don't know. I actually told Cole's like, I need to pray. <laughs> Just like, whatever we have to talk about, I'm not going to be in a good headspace for that. Psalm 1, verse 2 says, but his delight is not in how he's defined good and evil. It's in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Nothing about that situation kept me from honoring God and his law. At all. I mean, I kept 
my thoughts in my head and smiled and was nice to the front desk lady. But I'll tell you one thing, I wasn't super concerned about her state before the Lord at that moment. There was, I had built up this law that this is how my day is gonna go. And it gave me a measure of confidence. It made, the plan made sense. And I didn't realize that this was not God's law <laughs> until he blew it up in my face. I didn't realize it at the time. You know, this is like days of confessing this and wrestling with it myself. Um, but it's, we, we, we will, a lot of times, whether it's a plan, whether it's how someone should act, whether it's what I need to accomplish. Like I have to be here and I'm here. Like that's not God's law. Uh, that your, your career trajectory isn't part of what he has communicated to you that honors him. Or how useful I am or how, uh, how well trained I am for whatever I am called to do. And sometimes God calls us to humiliation so that we could say, I trust him because I'm not sufficient. And what, what he says, I walk in your faithfulness and I don't sit with the wicked He's saying, I have entrusted and put my confidence in the things that you've communicated, that you are calling to me most clearly, that can be summed up in love God and love your neighbor. I mean, I could have spent some time in prayer. That would have been useful. It would have honored the Lord. It would have been a way to, to have confidence in what he has called me to. It was very obvious in hindsight that I was not called to my plan but we take these little things, good and bad, and we build them up and we say, that's God's law. And if it doesn't happen, that's the worst. And it's not true. So, our, so God rattles us and our confidence is actually misappropriated paths. And he's saying, it's my paths that I support you in. It's my law that you have confidence in when you do it. It's who I am. So think about that. What rattles your confidence? What's something that you think has to happen that you have oriented around yourself and your law? And what does it look like to trust the Lord in that? What does it look like then to say, Lord, this is, this is actually what you've called me to, to love, to consider others as more important than myself? Sometimes that's difficult to decipher. That's part of doing this together and sharing those things and, and working through that. But doesn't negate the promises that he tells us to put before our eyes. He's promised to transform you. He's promised to sustain you. Look at First Peter. It's a really good, quick summary of some of the promises that God has given his people. Even if we're struggling to figure out what his path is, if we're, if we're struggling to know the God honoring from his law, right way to go, that's real life. It doesn't, doesn't negate the promises. That's why David says, I put those promises in front of me. First Peter says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our king, the one we worship, according to his grace, mer great mercy. What has he done? God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, if you are just strong enough, you can guard it and get there. False. Or who, if you just know the right way to go today, tomorrow, or the next year, you can totally get to it. Who, by God's power, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Those are the promises that you can put before your eyes with clarity that even David couldn't. As we find confidence in his promises, as, as we find confidence in his law, his paths and not ours, I think we begin, as we wrestle with those things, we begin to find a measure of satisfaction in his presence. We, we, we know what we're aiming for. This is the, the beauty of, of reorienting my confidence from my aims, my goals, my desires, to God himself. There's so many other things less than God most of us will really want if we're honest with ourselves. We have a trajectory in our mind and when we don't get to that trajectory, it rattles our confidence. And I, I think that I've said this before and um, you know, I'm eating my words in some way now that I'm uh, continued to have that rattled over the last couple of months with my schedule and things, is that if God loves you, if God is genuinely united to you and working the character of our King in and through you, shaping you and transforming you into the image of Jesus, if you have an end goal of anything less than the presence of God, he will graciously never give you that. If you're aiming after something that's less than God himself, because he wants to make you like Jesus, he's not gonna give you that. He loves you. He wants you to look like his son. He wants you to find fulfillment and joy and peace and thanksgiving. And he knows that the only way you're really gonna get all that, the only way that you're really gonna be able to finally rest and have joy that, and confidence that doesn't waver is for the end goal to be God himself. I think there's a lot of things he gives us in life that he uses in our life to draw us closer to the beauty and glory of who he is. We talked about that a little bit in Psalm 19. The, the creation and all the things that we, we do every day are actually instruments that can be used to bring us into the very presence of God, that can show us his majesty and his beauty and his wonder. We, 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 we mentioned the idea of the telescopes that were built that looked into space. Like those are things that can really show us who God is and draw us to him. And, and he, through his spirit, he's reorienting us to take these things that we like around here and stop and not look up. He's reorienting us to say, these are all instruments to drive you up to me because that's where you're really gonna find peace. That's where you're really gonna find joy. And so if we're gonna have a measure of confidence, if we're gonna find confidence in, in anything we do, we should be asking the Lord and saying, help this, use this Lord to draw me into your presence. Use this Lord to bring me closer to you. Amen. I think part of how God works that in and through us, we talked about this a little bit in Colossians, it's through thanksgiving, through giving thanks on where God does that. It's through worship. It's through taking some time on your Sunday morning to say, I, there's so many other things and ends and places I could be and things I could pursue, but I'm reorienting my day in this time and this morning to sing and to think about him, to take communion and consider my own heart and my own self, to hear the word read, to hear the word preached, to, to utilize all these different things that God has given us to reorient our mind around the glory and majesty and presence of God himself. That's why David says, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. He's, he's talking about the, the instruments in the temple He's, or in the tabernacle this time, the, the ways of approaching God. Uh, you, another translation is, I wash my hands in purity. It's almost like contrasting with the hypocrites. 
Like, I, I, I want my heart to be transformed and I'm going to the altar and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm worshiping you because you're the aim. Not because I want uh, more friends or not because I feel better about myself when I do the churchy things. Because in here, I want to just approach you and be impressed with who you are. Which is why verse seven says, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of all of your wondrous deeds. It's worship of you. It's orienting my heart and my mind and my paths around your presence, your paths, your promises that just comes out of me thanksgiving. That draws me towards worship for worship's sake. Verse eight, he kind of continues this theme. He says, Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I think if there was um, anything learned during COVID by believers who had a taste of the glory, of the majesty, of the joy that's in the presence of God is that we long for that when we try to mediate that through just like a Zoom call. <laughs> like it falls short. And, and don't get me wrong, there's digital things that are a blessing and wonderful. And you know, I'm sure there are people in countries that would have loved to just gather on Zoom and sing and worship God. But there's something to be said for God's people, his holy temple, the spirit who dwells in you and I, gathering where the glory of God is most clearly seen. And when we're away from that for any amount of time, we long for the gathering of the people of God because that's where God dwells so that we could see the glory and majesty and wonder of God himself. So David's responding to, to this idea that he has unwavering confidence as he's aiming on keeping his, his promises in front of him, trying to go down the Lord's path and so not the path that he's built up and then putting the end goal as God himself. It would make sense that he says, I love the habitation of your house. I think it's interesting in verse nine and 10 that he knows, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that unique, but, but David knows he falls short. David knows he's not worthy of these things. David knows he hasn't earned the place to be in God's house. It's part of the beauty of keeping the promises in front of him. The things that God has determined to do and he says, it's like he's asking, he's like, Lord, do not sweep my soul away with the sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. Even as he has had a measure of confidence, like he started by saying, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Whatever he's been through, whatever he has leaned on the Lord for, whatever he's teaching us in this psalm on where we can find this unwavering confidence, he knows that, it, like he has to say it doesn't end with me. He has to say, Lord, I need your help still. I need you to rescue me. I need you to step in and continue to give this to me. And you're the one that promises to do that. I mean, that's the whole previous psalm is about him kind of requesting those things. He ends the psalm by saying, as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Lord, I'm committed to 
shaping my life in a way that images your law. As, a, as Christians in post-resurrection era of the world, Lord, as you work Christ and his character in and through me, as I, as I see his uh, explanation and expounding of what it means to love others and to love you, that's where I want to commit myself to. That's the, that's the things I want to put up here and, and sink my confidence into, not the, the little L laws, not the like plans I made, not the other things that are good. I want to, all of my life to be walked in according to your law but redeem me and be gracious to me. You are the one, Lord, that will rescue me. You are the one's promises who are in front of me that will save me from my own wicked heart. You are the one that's gonna ultimately give me confidence as I put my promises, your promises in front of me, as I put my paths in line with your law, Lord, as I aim for your presence, you're the one who rescues me. Be gracious to me. I think it's beautiful how he ends it. He says, my foot stands on level ground. My foot stands on level ground. I think, um, what are those little things you stand on at the gym where you like have to work your core and they like balance? You know, you're like... <laughs> Yeah, those things are, those are torture. <laughs> but anything that does this part of my body, I don't want to do it. Um, but there, you're kind of just like, or if you've ever done the, the, uh, the little electric uh, scooter things that don't have a handle, what are those called? Hoverboards. Have, have you been on a hoverboard? Oh, like, they're fun, but they're like so touchy if you've never done them before. You're like moving, you're moving... We feel that way in life sometimes. We don't feel like we're on level ground. We're on that hoverboard for the first time. <laughs> and I think you need to ask yourself, is it because something about God has changed? He rattles us. He allows us to be balancing and shaky because it's where he reveals where we're putting our confidence in. But that's painful. I don't like to know what I'm doing wrong. Sometimes really difficult things rattle us. Good things. But that's a grace from a loving God who's promised to care for you, who's promised and committed himself to you, who's demonstrated his love on the cross, who has shown us that he can orchestrate all of history for his purposes and is now currently orchestrating the thing that's rattling you so that you would stop and say, where am I finding my confidence? What do I put in front of my eyes? to make me feel better? What are the, the things that I add to my past that might be not what God has said in his word? What are the end goals that I dream about when I don't have anything to think about? Is the beauty in the presence of the Lord? He's not shaking the ground. 
because he's upset. He's not shaking the ground because he's punishing you. He's shaking the ground because he wants you to see where you can find confidence. Desperately wants to see you reorient your confidence from yourself to his promises, to his path, to his presence. And when that happens, with David, we can say, in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. I will sing his praises because he's helped me find my confidence in him. And that doesn't change. That doesn't waver. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are such a wonderful God. Thank you, Lord, that you are so infinitely patient with us. Lord, you, um, through your spirit, are convicting us of how we want confidence in things less than you. And Lord, you're gonna... You're going to show more of the wonder and majesty of your son through your people, even the people in this very room, demonstrate the glory and the beauty and the grace of you. And I know we're going to turn back from that. (laughs) And you are patient and kind and constantly coming after us, Lord. Lord, I pray that when you give us a measure of confidence in your character, in your promises, in your word, in your law, in you, in your presence, Lord. I pray that when that happens, our response would be thanksgiving. Our response would just say, look what God is doing in and through me. As we grow in worshiping you, as we grow in considering your character and who you are, we would grow in our stability and our confidence in what you've done. So I thank you for your kindness and your patience and your grace with us this morning. In your name I pray, amen.